Now Zion in traffic. Games at home with a right hand. Virginia going after the ball low. Guy. And then Jerome makes the gamble, and that opened up the lane. Huff tries to block it, but he couldn't get all the way over to it. Hit him on the arm. And yet Zion Williamson strong enough to finish that play in spectacular fashion. Wow. Welcome to Five Point Play Podcast, the official diehard Duke basketball fan podcast. The number two team in the nation, coming off two big wins, is now 16 and two, five and one in the ACC, beating UVA at home without Trey Jones, and then going on the road to face Arm Boy, Jeff Cable, and Pitt. Uh, AC, let's bring it in. Let's start right at the top. Let's talk about your feelings after you saw the big UVA win. Man, I'm gonna clap it up. That was that was enormous. That was that was huge, man. For for those out there who who obviously couldn't see anything that happened, uh, TK and I finally got to get together, watch a game. It was awesome. Uh, we we got to watch Duke beat a good, a very very good UVA team and 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 the undefeated streak for teams in college basketball. There are no longer any undefeated teams left in college basketball, courtesy of of Duke. I think they get a, did a good job of of having to switch gears a little bit. They really didn't change anything that they do. Uh, this Duke team, quite honestly, like I think a lot of people coming out of that game were like, Oh, you know, great adjustments by K and everything. There wasn't a lot to adjust. And I think K would say the same thing. This team works through Zion and RJ, regardless of who's passing them the ball. And, and those two attack the basket better than anybody else in the nation and probably better than anybody else in the nation that we've seen in three or four years. It, it's really incredible how, hard they attack and how well they attack and and the skill at which they attack teams know it's coming they they know that's what we duke has to do and they just continue to do and they did it against the best defense in the nation um hands down virginia's the best defense in the nation and and they just did it so adeptly can they live like this forever i don't think so and we'll probably get into that a little bit um in this podcast i don't think this team can live off of zion and rj forever but in the interim, it's great, and then when everybody else is kind of clicking, and then you need to go to need a couple guys to go to for a basket, we know we have them in RJ and Zion. So it was nice, man. It was, it was a big win, and it, it told a nice story about this team. Yeah, they they fought really hard, and we we've mentioned it before that it's nice to have a team that even when we can't put the ball in the basket, we have a team that can get stops. Mm-hmm. And I thought Coach K did a really great. Uh, a really great thing in the UVA game by switching the zone with about eight minutes to go right after the under eight timeout in the second half. It really threw UVA, UVA off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a great job against them. Our game plan going in was to limit their three-point opportunities. We did that in spades. And I thought our defense, uh, defensive presence the entire game was pretty rock solid. Um, we kind of played a style where we want to get you in a, a game that is the way we play. We're going to play everything inside the three-point line, and we want you to play our game because we know that we have the better personnel to be mm-hmm. able to beat you. Uh, I thought RJ was the catalyst of the entire game. Uh, I know that in the last few podcasts, we've somehow, uh, until the end of game recaps, failed to bring RJ up. <laughs> and <laughs> now you know, I want to make sure that he's at the forefront. He was the guy... Uh, as great as Zion was, RJ had to 
you know, do everything in that game with Trey out. He had to play the point guard. Uh, kudos to you for calling up correctly. He he was able to facilitate, but really uh, he was able to make sure that the ball was in the correct hands. We limited our turnovers, mm-hmm. and he did a great job, uh, you know, getting us into our offense, which, as you pointed out, really turned out to be the RJ and Zion show, especially with about 10 minutes to go in the second half. Right. You made a good point while we were watching the game that we had to do two things. One, you know, keep going downhill on this UBA team. That's how mm-hmm. you attack them. What they want you to do is they're giving you three-pointers. We're not a great three-point three point shooting team. I thought Kay made that very apparent, and kudos to RJ and Zion for not taking the bait when they had them. Um, right. We're not baiting them to shoot threes. But the other side of it was we were able to spread it out and just let RJ really control the game. What did you see from what RJ was able to do specifically against that UVA stunt defense? I think the key thing, the, the key thing he was able to do was, and, and you mentioned it was limit, limit his turnovers. He only had one turnover in the game. He had three assists in the game. This was not a game of assists because as you mentioned, Duke, Duke made this game about themselves. They made this, all right, this is what we do. We have, we have three NBA caliber guys on the floor right now and Cam, Zion, and RJ, and we're going to let those three attack you. Cam didn't have the night that you, know, you would like Cam to have eventually, but he's, you know, he's, he still at least drew the defense, and that's what you want. You guys are going to draw the defense. So, and, and that's what – and RJ, that's why he's so good at what he does. And he, I think he takes a lot of flack for the amount of shots he takes at times. But without, without him and without him doing what he does on the floor, then everybody else can key on Zion. You can put two or three guys on Zion. You can put three, two or three guys on Cam if you needed to. When Trey gets back, you can, you know, you can put your best defender on Trey and keep him from moving the ball around the way he does. You, you cannot defend RJ with one person, and you can't focus in on RJ because then you have the rest of the team. He's going to make those passes to the rest of the team because he will pass. He's a willing passer. He's shown that he can do it. And I, I think this game was a great example of also how much of a leader he really is. Um, we you know, we kind of mentioned to talk about how Trey is our our team's MVP, and I think that stands. I think even though we have these couple of wins under our belt without him, that doesn't mean anything. We need him back. And I think our second most important player is RJ. Uh, he he really does he does the things that you need him to do to to open things up for the rest of the team. And you ask Zion and Cam and everybody else on that squad, and they absolutely feel that RJ is vital to their success. There's no question. And obviously the play of the game uh, came with just under nine minutes in the first half after uh, Huff made a big <laughs> about uh, blocking uh, Zion when he was being triple teamed underneath the basket. Zion made his presence felt coming right down the lane and just absolutely erupting the camera crazy. Oh, my God. You know, any other player, his arm may have came off. Right. Uh, Zion was able to power through that and flush it home, and the roof on Cameron almost went out. Uh, But I'll tell you that, you know, we had a lot of really unsung heroes in that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to make sure that we mention, although he only had a couple buckets, there were two big buckets by Jack White. Uh, mm-hmm. once uh, on a putback in the first half, and then a really great drive in the second half to throw it down. You know, Jack is asked to do a lot of things. He's asked to defend a lot of different players throughout the game, many of which who are bigger than he, he is. He's coming off uh, a couple games in a row still to this point where he's not shooting the three ball very well. He's certainly not confident when he takes it, and we'll touch on that as well. 
but I thought Jack White did uh, a pretty admirable job, and he had to play 40 minutes uh, against UVA. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy I want to touch on is Marquise Bolden. He's had a couple really sure. nice showings uh, between Syracuse, uh, UVA, and Pitt. The two free throws and the rebound that Bolden got at the end of the game, I thought his two free throws, where he goes down, calmly strikes them both, that was that was the dagger for, for mm-hmm. UVA. That that kind of put the game out of reach. Was there anybody there that, that you saw, or, or can you add anything that those guys did that really kind of went un, uh, unnoticed because all we're talking about is Zion and RJ? There... Quite honestly, their biggest their biggest contribution outside outside of what you you mentioned was just they they just they didn't make any mistakes and they didn't get in the way of quite honestly just they didn't get in the way of Zion and RJ doing what they needed to do. Quees didn't take a single shot. Uh, like you mentioned, Jack only made two field goals. The second leading rebounder on the team outside of Zion was actually Cam Reddish. She had eight. So and, you know, Quees and Jack didn't even you know they they weren't even on they weren't on the boards per se. What they what, what that tells me with Zion and, and Cam being able to get as many rebounds as they did, that tells me, and you can watch the game and you can actually see it. They boxed out so well. This was not this was a, a very high high percentage game in terms of shooting percentage. Um, you know, but both teams were well above fifty percent. So there's not a lot of rebounds to be had in a game like that. So when there were rebounds, you got to get them, and you don't get rebounds against a team like UVA if you're not you know if you if you're not working against that pack where you're, you're getting your, your men boxing out and things. So Jack and, and Queese really did a great job of doing the dirty work this game. They stayed, stayed out of the way. They dove for balls. They boxed out. They did all those basic things that you have to perfect if you're going to win and be a champion. And and they did that. They made those plays. And I, I just really, I, I can't, you know, barring something unforeseen, I really can't see them not doing that the rest of the season. And it's, it's beautiful to watch because you have a team that's talented. And then on top of that, you add, talented guys who are doing making dirty work plays and that's that's a that's a nice recipe man <laughs> you can make you can make a lot of cakes with that recipe yeah very nice um you know they went uh three of 17 from three obviously mm-hmm. you know we tried to limit their their attempts and anytime they did have an attempt we tried to make sure that it was as difficult as as possible and and give a credit to hunter hunter made a lot of really contested shots oh, yeah. especially in the first half where he had uh, a sequence of about four or five uh, baskets in a row. Uh, but you, you touched on one thing, one thing coming into that game that I kind of thought might be a little bit of a weakness of, of ours is our defensive glass. Uh, we were giving up a little bit too many offensive rebounds in games prior. In this game, we only gave up seven rebounds on mm-hmm. the offensive side for, for UVA. Did you see any adjustments there that, were notable to you, or did, was it just more of an effort thing? I think it's a combo of it's a, it's a combo of effort, and it's also a combo of style of play. Like FSU, we lose our our best rebounder in Zion, so that the you know the rebounding numbers look a little skewed there. And I still think we only lost the rebounding battle by one to FSU, if I'm not mistaken. Syracuse was the one where we really had trouble securing boards, partly because of that zone. I mean, you there's two things can happen when you play zone. You either become a really bad rebounding team because you're standing still and you're standing in spots, or you become a really good rebounding team. And Syracuse not only happens to be a decent rebounding team, but we also go and shoot eight for 43 or whatever it was, you know, from three. So that also leads to those easy long rebounds that, that guys in zones can get. So, you know, I think that's more of a testament to that than Duke 
not necessarily being a great rebounding team because all season they've proven they've been a good rebounding team. I believe they've only been out rebounding one game outside of those others. So the the, the rebounding for me this game was again it, it it came down to get the boards that you can strictly because there weren't a lot to be had because people were making so many shots outside of three point shooting. Yeah, and I kind of took I took a little bit of flack on the uh, on the boards after the UBA game because I I mentioned that. I personally thought that Coach K outcoached Tony Bennett. Uh, I think he did too. <laughs> I, I, and the, yeah, and there, there were a number of reasons that I thought that. And it, it has nothing to do with me thinking that Tony Bennett can't coach. Mm-hmm. I thought Coach K had one of his better coaching games in a long time. It mm-hmm. wasn't just because of switching his own in the uh, you know under-eight timeout, which we mentioned. Uh, to me, it was opening it up kind of playing possum to get it to that under 10 minute mark in the second half and then letting the two best players on the court go to work. Mm -hmm. We have the two best players. It's always going to be like that. And if we can keep it close against a defense like UVA, we know that we can beat you because we have the two best guys driving, you know, downhill, getting to the rack and if not getting fouled. The other Mm -hmm. thing uh, that I liked that he did was with about four – 45 or so to go in the second half. You can tell that our guys were windy. He does mm-hmm. a great job of getting a timeout in there, knowing that he still has two and the under four to come, to come up. He really did a great job of managing his players' minutes because really we, we basically played five guys the entire game. You know, I thought that he did a great job of managing the team, getting us to that point where his two superstars could be the difference makers. Right. And if you ever listen to him talk about, um, you know, he, he's always going to want to have the most talent. Mm-hmm. He wants to have the most talent and take his chances. He talked about that, obviously, coaching the Olympic team, and he's talked about it in the past with, you know, even last year having Bagley and, and you know, Grayson and Wendell. So I thought that he put us in position to be able to say, hey, win it or lose it for us, guys. And, and RJ and, and Zion did that. And and great job by RJ, who has really been very inconsistent and kind of struggled at the line. When they counted at the end, he nailed them. And that's going to be a great experience for him to fall back on as we get further along down the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just these 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 close games are going to be good for this team and these end of game situations are going to be good good for this team, especially because you know, as you mentioned, some of those some of those points you mentioned about you know free throws, some of these things that the team so so you know so so called does not well and does not do well and does do well. Um, it's just man, it's just a, it can't say enough of how big of a win it is and how and just how great of a job K did. He mentioned it after the game. There, the idea was, and the reason they didn't get the threes that they typically get was the idea was let them score those twos. You and I. And they're watching the game. You know, we we were screaming for it. We were like, switch Queese off of, you know, stop switching Queese on the Jerome and sw- stop letting Queese guard the guards and everything else because he can't guard them. That was part of the game plan, believe it or not. It, it was okay, fine. Drive against Queese, get your two. We'll get two, and we'll be just fine. We'll go head to head this entire game because we know that you can't go one on one like we can because UVA is their their offense is predicated on getting assists. They can't get those assists. It, it, it's not that we were, you know, kept them under some unbelievable field goal percentage. It's just that go ahead and get those two point inefficient two point shots. You can have them, and they got them. And 
when Duke needed a three, they would hit a three. Or if they got, needed to get Duke's threes, this game were really the and ones. And it, I mean, it just worked, man. He took he took a gamble. He does this from time to time. Cade took a gamble and was like, "This is what we're gonna roll with." And if we win, we win. If we don't, we don't. Really reminded me of when Boozer went down first game after he went down. It reminded me of of his strategy to go straight three point shooting. Let, let's beat you. Let's beat UNC with threes. And if you know, if, if we gun, then we win. And if if we miss, then we lose. And that's how it's gonna be. And they they lived and died on that pretty much to the end of the season. And yeah, you ha- obviously you have the personnel to be able to do that. You can't make a gamble without having the right personnel. So it also goes back to knowing your personnel. And it's the same story here. It wasn't let's gun threes. This time it was get downhill and get to the basket as much and as often as you possibly can and let them score twos against RJ and Zion. And we're going to win that battle every single time. It was beautiful. It, it was. And it is, again, it's him saying, you're going to play our game. We're not going to adapt to your game. Mm-hmm. And uh, even Tony Bennett said it both after the half and after the game, that we threw looks at him that they hadn't seen all year, mm-hmm. and they weren't prepared for them. And that, again, goes to giving Coach Pay four or five days to prepare for you. He's probably going to come up with something that is going to be effective, especially if our personnel are able to execute it. So a big win for, for Duke. Yep. And then, you know, we move on a couple of days later to the next play. Next play. And that is the uh, kind of the, the homecoming of sorts. For, for Jeff Capel is uh, it's tough. Let, let's start there. Yeah. Does you feel weird at all, you know, kind of just seeing Jeff, you know, coming out of the tunnel and, and hugging our guys? I got a little sentimental. Is that just me being a homer? No, I don't think it's you being a homer. I think I think it's actually – I think it's very natural. I, I Yeah, I, I love Jeff Capel. I loved him as a player. I loved him as a coach. I loved him when he was coaching at VCU in Oklahoma. And, you know, he gets he gets to come back home work on their K for a little bit and then go back and find his own job. I thought it's great. I, I don't, there's a couple of weird games for me to watch this season. Like watching Duke play Virginia Tech is a weird game for me. It's just, it's, it's difficult to watch. And and this was another one. Like, as you mentioned, it's, it was, it's hard to watch. I think I, I don't want to go as far as to say, he showed too much respect to you know our guys because I mean you obviously have a relationship with these guys you recruit them you coach them of course he's not going to come out and and dog them or anything like that he's not going to come out and talk trash about our guys or ignore them or anything like that I totally get that it's just as you know two competitors going back and forth I just I just don't want to see anything hurt his legacy like people are like oh look at him you know he's showing too much respect to his guys when he has his own team to worry about that's the only thing I could, that's the only perception I think I was worried about with this game it was more more of that type of perception more than anything else. So it, it was it was difficult to watch. You knew Kay wasn't going to, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to run the score upon him by any means just because I thought Pitt was going to be able to, to to hang a little better than they did. But once again, some nice adjustments and, 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 and nice, obvious, you know, in-practice adjustments that Kay made leading up to this game and, you know, really, really kind of shut him down. Yeah, I felt, I felt myself uh, in the first half She's kind of looking at it and, and seeing Jeff before he got that technical. Mm-hmm. You know, say, easy Jeff, easy Jeff. Like, you know, just thinking, like, I don't want him. You know, I, I knew that we were going to win the game. I knew we would probably win it very convincingly. And I just kind of found myself not so much rooting for him, but not rooting against the guy. Right. right. Um, you know, I want to see him do well. It's only good for Duke if uh, people does well, because then we have oh, sure. another rival guy and a guy that many people thought um, before he left, and, and still probably the case, is – uh, next in line, but again, that's for another time. But talking about the game in general, I mean, this was the Zion show. 
Oh, yeah. Zion show. He was absolutely unbelievable. He made what his first ten in a row. First ten um, in a row. And it was just absolutely not only was he efficient, but he was dominating that game. It was oh my god, yeah. Offensive rebounds, uh, blocks, uh, getting things at the rim, knock down a three. It, if he's knocking down threes, he's unwarnable. Yeah, especially step back threes in the corner, like <laughs> Jesus. Nothing but net. Right. Nothing but net. And I thought that, you know, again, this was another game where, you know, RJ is asked to do everything. He didn't have his most efficient game, but then you go down and look at the box score, and he's 10 of 24, 3 of 7 from, from 3. Uh, you know, he, he's got five boards, 20, 26 points, and it's just another game. Like, are we taking for granted what RJ is doing? Because everybody's so focused outside of Duke talking about what Zion is doing and, and how he's the front runner for the National Player of the Year. Uh, he's already on the uh, National Defensive Player of the year list and trey is not uh, can, can we sidebar for that real quick how is trey jones not on the watch list for national defensive player of the year i don't um, want to spend too much time on this but i want yeah. to mention it no i'm i'm absolutely stunned absolutely stunned by that especially not not to compare two guys and not to not to down anybody what anybody else does because i absolutely feel that ashton hagan should be on that list but hagan's Higgins didn't start doing what he's doing until about eight or nine games into the season. Calipari finally found him on the bench magically, and and now he's on the floor as their main floor general, kind of doing exactly what Trey's been doing the entire season. So I don't I don't know if I you know I, I haven't I haven't gone and compared his stats to some of these other guys or anything. I don't I don't know if it's a stats thing. I don't you know I don't know I don't know what it is. Like Zion is on the list, and you know. Kudos to him because I think he I think he at least deserves some recognition for the defense he plays, but a lot of his defense comes off of what Trey does and what Trey allows. And him being on that list is very similar to when LeBron was like the NBA's front runner for Defensive Player of the Year, and it kind of was based on a couple of you know really high, nice highlight plays that he made, some chase down right. blocks and things like that. You know, very very exciting defense, but. And not, not to and again, not to downplay what he's doing. Not saying that he's not consistent. Just exciting defense, but just not not at the consistency that that Trey's obviously given. It you know, not even close. Like Trey is Trey is consistently consistently a great defender. And I haven't watched every game in college basketball this year, but I, I don't need to to know that what he's done is right. is better than just about anybody else in the nation. So at the very least, the top thirty guys. So, you know, he, right, he deserves right. to be on that list. We don't have to debate whether he is the National Defensive Player yeah. of the Year. But to not even be on a list is beyond egregious. Way beyond. So, uh, but again, that's probably for another time as well. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of uh, of your reactions and uh, your recap of the, of the pit game. It was kind of a sloppy game. Uh, you know, we basically had a 20-point lead the entire time. I saw a few negatives in there that I did want to touch on, but I want to mm-hmm. hear your thoughts on the overall uh, game itself. As you mentioned, a little sloppy. Um, we were able to turn them over a little bit, which was nice. That was, I think, I think a couple of my biggest takeaways from that game outside of just you know the the domination that Zion put on and Cam once again rebounded pretty well. Six boards yeah. that game. He played. He's playing really well off the ball and and really well doing the other little things. You know, the defense and everything. We we've, we've talked about it at nauseum at this point. I think and I don't think we need to keep going on it he is not letting his poor shooting affect the other parts of his game which is it's just brilliant i love it uh, we we saw some more time for jordan uh, jordan goldwire this game and 
you kind of had a feeling that that would happen. UVA wasn't the time to put it, just throw him out there to the Wolves. But this wasn't a bad opportunity to at least get him on the floor and, and get him a little bit of time to get him comfortable with this group. And and Queese. Queese was he was just a man out there hustling, diving for loose balls. That foul that he got called on him, you know, despite it being a foul, two, I mean, he was he was hustling after the ball. Yeah. Two in a row. Two in a row, right? Yeah. And it was just in, in two plays that you really I don't know. You, I don't think you needed to call fouls on him, but I mean, if you call a foul, foul, I'm not going to dispute the refs on this one. Whatever, it's fine. He was hustling. He was yeah. hustling, and he was giving his all out there, which you love to see from him. The other, and I guess one one negative that I can take away from it, outside of it being a sloppy game, and you know, we can't get Trey back soon enough to to kind of help clean some of these things up and get some people's uh, you know true shooting percentages back up. Was I, I just a little discouraged by not only not seeing Alex get some time, but also just kind of seeing Alex's demeanor on, on the court and on the bench. You know, yeah. I think a lot, I think too much is made sometimes like people will look at a guy on the bench. He's slumping his shoulders and like, Oh God, here he comes. He's going to transfer. I don't think, I don't think Alex is a transfer risk. What I do think is he's clearly, there's, there's clearly a disconnect between he and, and K at this moment. And, I'm, you know, who knows what it is. I'm not behind the scenes enough to know if there's something that they're discussing or something that they're talking about or whatever. Can he find his way back into the rotation? I'm sure that he can, but we're getting pretty close to the end of the season, and we do know how Kay likes to solidify things by usually about, you know, just after, if not at the UN, the first UNC game, at least just after the first UNC game. So that's kind of the the benchmark. So you know, it, it would be really nice to see him to see him get out be able to get out on the floor and and continue to earn some time. Cause I thought, and I think a lot of fans thought he did that against Syracuse. Right. So, so is he just going to be a specialist at this point where, when we need some threes, put him in, I don't know. Hopefully not. I thought he's shown some decent things on defense, but just that, that was, that was also a difficult thing to watch during this game was just, you know, he just, he was not in it. He was not into this game. And there, there was clearly, you know, clearly some, you know, some discord there. If, you know, yeah. just to, to say it, put it lightly. Yeah, there was. And in the UVA game, you know, there was a point in the first half where Alex comes in and he gets the ball and there's about two seconds left on the shot clock and doesn't realize there's only two seconds. Jack mm-hmm. White, he had just come in for Jack White. Jack White hadn't even finished his Gatorade yet before K takes him out. Not even exaggerating, that's actually what happened. Right. So Alex comes out, K immediately starts talking to him. And puts him right back in. He goes, and I think it was more like, hey, like, I trust you, but you have to be more cognizant of what is going on on the floor. Right. And then to come back in the pit game and, you know, just have really just a lackluster performance all around. It's, it's like he was on an island by himself. It was really discouraging to watch. And yeah. he touched on most of it. And, you know, coming into the year, you know, I thought that he would be an integral part. I figured that he'd be a, a, a solid portion of that eight-man rotation that we've talked mm-hmm. about and then on the other side you know I'm, I'm starting to think after the UVA game is, is Alex going to be you know the the Andre Dawkins of 2010 where you know he's especially off the bench but but Dre was even further along at this point and he was you know uh incoming freshman who reclassified early to join the team and you know a guy that went through more stuff than anybody has ever gone through right during that during that season, he was able to come in and make some great plays. It's still, it's not, it's not at the end of the season. It's still early enough, but we are right at that mid, that midway almost. 
mm-hmm. where, you know, hey, Alex, if you're going to be here, you got to show some more consistency. Um, and, and so that was discouraging. Talk to me about a guy that I actually am, am more discouraged by, which is Javin Delaurier. Uh, you know, a couple of the fouls that he picked up in the UVA game were were unfortunate. Uh, I thought right. they were they – were, he's starting to get that reputation. We talked about Cam prior podcast about, you know, he's not getting the benefit of the whistle. Well, now Javin, as a junior big man captain, is not he's, – he's getting labeled foul prone. And mm-hmm. the referees, believe me, know that coming into the game. Right. So, you know, I mean, I'm at a loss for words for Javin. I don't want to come on here and, and bash a, a junior captain, but I, I could not be more discouraged. But a game, in, in the game that he should really have his way down low, you know, Pitt is not a big team. Uh, he's the tallest player on the floor pretty much the entire time he's in the game against Pitt. Um, you know, fumbling the ball, cheap fouls. Um, you know, not finishing easy putbacks. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just not what we need. And credit to Cleese. Cleese is doing a phenomenal job. And it's, it's like that, you know, Seesaw, no, we both need you to be about even. We don't need one right. guy to be way up and one guy to be way way down. Talk talk me back into the room here. Oh, the jab. <laughs> All right, so, so the ship isn't sinking. Hold on. Hold on tight. I think we'll I think we'll be okay there. And the reason I think we'll be okay with Javin is strictly because he's not somebody that you are going to rely on on the offensive end. And I think that's his saving grace. He he gets to he has the luxury, and it is a luxury to be able to not have to take that load. He gets the luxury of being able to sit back, play defense, and 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 be a hustle player. And he has it in him. We know he has it in him. We know it's it, it's coming. And and it's just one of those things where it's, I think it's going to be, he's going to have his rough patches here and there, and he's going to have really awesome games. Like we're, he's going to have this stretch right now that we're talking about. And probably in two weeks, he's going to have two or three games where we say, man, Javin really was one of the differences of that game because he's going to block a couple of shots or he's going to play some hustle defense. He's going to dive for a couple of loose balls here or there. So, you know, it's just, he's, so it's the scoring part. It, you take that, that out of the equation, he gets to concentrate, concentrate on being a hustle player. and that that's what he'll give us. Jack Jack will give us a little bit of scoring when we need it. Quise will give us a little bit of scoring when he can. And then, you know, everybody else is going to pick that load up from there. So Javin just, you know, he's going to take his time. Let him let him figure it out. Obviously, he's a junior at this point, so some people are like, he should have figured it out by now. He, he's fine. I think he's okay. And he's still engaged. That's the beauty of it. He's, he's very engaged. The coaches still trust him. They still put him in the game. And it's just a matter of time. He's again, he's just going to this UVA was a bad matchup for him. Pittsburgh seemingly should have been a better matchup for him. It's just, it's not his style to, to be a scorer. So they're not going to toss in the ball for scoring opportunities. And Pitt really did a good job of, of fighting and hustlings. So, you know, he's, he's going to have what he's going to, his biggest adjustment is going to have to be, okay, fine. When I'm not the a number one hustler on the floor, how do I deal with that without being in foul trouble? You know, how do I deal with that without having to grab and fight and claw and, you know, better body positioning or better. And that, that's going to be some film work. So I think think you get him in the film room a little bit with Carowell, who's one of Duke's greatest hustle players. Um, and and you, you get a chance to to have him to have him speak, speak with a guy like that and break down film with a guy like that. I, I think it's going to be no problem by come end of the season, at least. Yeah, and again, uh, credit to, to Marquise for really picking up the slack. He had nine rebounds, four blocks in that game, mm-hmm. uh, three or four from the line. He's really starting to become knock on wood here, uh, 
a consistent free throw shooter. And, you know, again, those two free throws that he made at the end of the UVA game were clutch. Uh, and, Do you remember and, what his free throw shooting was in high school? His Quise's uh, free throw shooting percentage was in high school? I still remember this to this day. I don't know why yeah. I know this. Wasn't it like 80%? Yes, it was 81%. Yeah. He was an 81% <laughs> free throw shooter through his high school and EYBL season. He was an well, amazing well, free throw shooter for a big man in high school. He's got good form, so we'll give yeah. him that. Um, to, to wrap up this segment, though, uh, you did touch on Goldwire. I thought Goldwire performed admirably. Uh, he gave us 13 minutes. He had a couple nice steals. Um, I think more than anything, in my mind at least, I thought he was he allowed RJ to at least kind of compliment us at his, mm-hmm. his more natural position. Um, right. And let's and let's touch on that. Let's go on to the next play. Next play. Uh, and let's talk about. So we played a couple of games now without Trey. Um, how have we played versus what we both predicted after Trey went down and we knew we would have him uh, out for a couple of games? Mm-hmm. How have we played versus what you thought we would do so far? I, I thought we've played. I thought we've played very admirably. I, you know, m- mentioned a little bit in that UVA recap. We, the what we're doing right now. Could we possibly keep doing this for the to, for the rest of the season? I guess sure you could say that we could do what we're doing and be successful the rest of the season. I just teams in college are so much better now that they're, they're so good and we we can't just we can't continue to put to play how we've been playing and be as inefficient as we kind of have been in 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 some capacities throughout the rest of the season. Trey Trey, bring, Trey brings that that efficiency level way up when he's back. You know he just makes things easier. The shots are easier. The ball falls in your hand better than it does. From somebody else's past, you know, all all those little things. It, it's just the little things you get used to in practices and all that. So he he's going to help some guys out. He's going to help. I think he's going to help Quees and some of our our interior guys out a little better because he's going to be able to get them the ball a little better than something than Zion and and RJ might be able to. I, I, you know, you kind of saw that way back in that way back in the day, back in the day a little bit with uh, Kyrie and Mason Plumley. Mason had some of his played some of his best ball with Kyrie because Kyrie was able to feed him the ball well. Trey does the same thing a little bit for Quees. Quees gets a lot of good shots from Trey, and and Javin he was on his you know his record breaking field goal streak thanks a little bit to, to his rebounding and Trey being able to get in the ball in good spots. So we're we're gonna see our overall efficiency go up when Trey gets back. But they've done a good job of being a fairly efficient team and not just settling for threes since he's been out. But again, that can't last forever. The defense has been a lot better than I thought it was gonna be. That was my biggest worry. This team you knew this team would be able to score a little bit, but the defense. It has been has been much better, and you know, kind of credit to K on, not not just K. The the players obviously have to play, so they get a, you know deserve a lot of credit as well. But K moving to that zone a couple times, K packing it in a little bit, like it was. It's it's good to see that these guys can do that and still be able to create turnovers because Pitt had fourteen. So you know we're still able to create, to create some of those turnovers, the same amount of turnovers we've been creating all season with Trey. So we're still able to do it. That's nice to see. Yeah, certainly. And I, I like the, the fact that Kay is not afraid to adapt on the fly and mm-hmm. not afraid to adapt with whoever his personnel is at the time. You mentioned, you know, 2001 when Boozer went down, he completely changed the way we played. Uh, mm-hmm. Defensively, has been, you know, a, a big shift on, you know, we're not getting as many forced turnovers uh, because we're not, we're not gambling as many uh, times as we would when we know we have a guy like Trey pressure in the ball. But at the same time, the switch to the zone has been instrumental. It was, it was huge in our win against UVA. Uh, they weren't prepared for it. And then against Pitt, we used it for long stretches. We, we know mm-hmm. we weren't going to go deep in the bench. And it was able a, a way for us to use our length against a smaller team 
And uh, it, you know, it, it's funny because one thing that I notice is it's okay to move to a zone if you're comfortable with the way that you rebound. Right. Know, last year, we gave up so many offensive rebounds in that zone. And, you know, we can talk about how, you know, the zone, you know, kind of revitalized our season last year. And it did in a way, but mm -hmm. we just gave up so many offensive rebounds. Kay is, you know, very comfortable with the zone now because he knows that we not only have uh, great rebounding with, with Cleese and Zion, uh, and Orange and, and Cam actually do a great job as well. But we also have rim protection with both right. Cleese and Zion. Um, so it's a little bit easier to know that we can trust something like that and, mm -hmm. get, and still get stops. But you did touch on one thing with Trey, especially offensively. You know, our margin for error shrinks without Trey. So right. I don't think that it's sustainable to do what we're doing, and we're not going to have to, you know, but it's not a sustainable thing uh, to play that way and really try to, really try to, you know, shrink the game down to get to that, you know, again, it's a great team to get down to that kind of five-minute mark and then try to let our two horses carry us to the victory. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not, that's not a long-term recipe probably to, to, to be accurate um, or to be efficient. On the one side, I predicted that Cam would have the ball in his hands more than he has. You are absolutely correct about RJ having it. Uh, RJ's done a great job mm -hmm. kind of just controlling the game, and that's what we always do. And we're not asking him to do anything differently other than just kind of control the game. On the other side, I do think that it has emboldened, pun intended, Cam a little bit. You know, he he wasn't as efficient in either game shooting the ball, right. but he did everything else. He didn't let any of his missed shots, um, you know, affect the rest of his game. I think that he's trying to win it and, and be that third guy. He's he he keeps yeah. hearing about RJ and and Zion, and, and maybe that's just me making it up in my mind. But I feel like he's trying to take on a bigger ownership of of you know, his game and what it means to this team. And uh, just on a sidebar with Cam, you know, all of his shots are dead on target. They're just right. long. Every time he misses, yeah. they're just long. <laughs> so I'm always taking... wondering, is, 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 he, is he better off just shooting from the NBA line? I, he probably is, man. I, like, quite honestly, I think he is. I think his, his degree of difficulty is, it's, it's kind of coming back up a little bit. UVA, he took a lot of tough shots. Yeah. Pittsburgh, he took a fair amount of tough shots. That the difference between some of those games and FSU was the shots he got against FSU. Not that they were easy by any means, because FSU doesn't necessarily give up easy shots because they have good defenders. But he he was able to step into shots, or he was able to get shots in spots that he likes. UVA didn't let him get shots in spots that he likes, and Pitt really didn't let him get a lot of easy shots in the spots that he likes. So it's it, it's coming for Cam. We saw it during FSU. It's he's yeah. clearly capable. It's coming. Yeah, we keep saying it's coming because we need it to come. But and that, that's another thing that's gonna this efficiency is gonna go up when he hits his shots. And I think that's what the team has needed all season. That's what they've been waiting for all season. He did it against FSU, and it's it's coming, man. It's it's coming. It's it's gonna happen. He's too talented for it not to happen. But just got. I think the staff has to work a little bit more on finding ways to to either get him into some pick and roll actions. Or then you know, I don't want to bring that back with the trade Duvall picking rolls, but not not just some ways to free him up and get him some easier shots. That's kind of my point. Is yeah, just get get him a few easier shots. I do have a question for you though. Sure. Do you want to see this team at times, at times, or do you think you'll see this team go zone when Trey gets back? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, 
do I want to see them go zone? Not, not really, uh, to be honest with you. I don't think that that is what this team was built for. Mm-hmm. I think that we've showed uh, through the first 16 games, and I guess really 15 and five minutes, uh, that man-to-man is the calling card for this team. We were one of the best defenses in the country playing man-to-man. I think that with Trey going out, it has forced us to, to adapt and to change the way we do things defensively. Uh, obviously, what Trey does is he guards the he guards the ball as soon as it reaches uh, half court, if not you know prior. He mm-hmm. forces them to get into their offense uh, 10 to 15 seconds into the game clock. So I no, I, I would not like us to see unless unless the situation absolutely calls for it. Maybe we're in foul trouble and we got a kind of high guys like Zion or or Cam. No, I, I don't want to see us do that. I do like us. You know, in the zone when Trey is out, you know, maybe that's a situation where Trey's, you know, getting a breather and we, you know, put Cam and RJ at the top, you know, two, six, seven, six, eight guys with length uh, at the top of the zone is really disruptive. That's pretty much what Bayheim likes to have. You know, right. Those are the kind of guys that he tries to recruit for zone. So, no, I mean, in, in the long run, no, I don't. I, I think that, you know, what Trey brings on the ball allows the other guys to play more efficiently uh man to man so you know i i'm wouldn't would you like that would you like to see us to go more zone which right back yeah I, I think this may be a topic for another day i think we just fell on another topic i i wouldn't mind and and the the one reason i say i wouldn't mind is we've shown that we're capable if you plug trey into a zone it's not like the zone's gonna get worse Sure. So, you know, it, it, it'll be it'll be just as effective as it has been, if not even a little bit better, because he'll still be able to do some of the things that he does in zone. He'll be able to pressure the ball a little bit when the ball's on his side. And he's smart enough and savvy enough to be able to get a few steals and and cause some disruption off ball on on opposite side from the strong side. So I, I think he'll be able to do that. The other thing I like about it is it's done a really good job of keeping Zion and Cam especially out of foul trouble because those have been sure. two guys who have been you know, kind of been saddled with some serious foul trouble and that hurts us at times. And for a team that's already pretty inefficient, you don't want to lose the most efficient player in the nation. And then you don't want to lose or keep setting back a guy who you absolutely need to be somewhat efficient to to make your way through March and navigate that, that those six game stretches if you're going to go into the championship. So I, I don't want to see it prim- as our primary defense by any means, but you know, K breaks down those four minute segments and I, I would not hate at all to see a couple short stints of sure. you know, this team playing a little bit of zone, especially against teams that don't shoot it well and exploit some mismatches that way and, and just, you know, create some breathing room for our guys a little bit. I would not I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see it at all. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see it. Uh again, like you said, uh in spurts or, you know, in situations that call for it, yes. But let's not forget, you know, one of the the best things about this particular team is our ability to get out in transition and mm-hmm. and score points very easily and very quickly that way. You know, before Trey got hurt, we had a, a number of games where, you know, and I'm kind of going to exclude the uh, Florida State game just because I went down and it was a little bit different. We had to adjust again. But one of the things that Kay would do at the start of second half is – you know, start picking up full court, start trying to get a couple turnovers early and, and put the other team away, put the foot right. on the gas and, and take them out. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want us to lose our aggressiveness um, just trying to kind of save a couple guys or, you know, hide guys for, for foul reasons. Again, situationally, sure. Um, but to, to finish this one out, 
Uh, I, I have heard some good news. Uh, Trey has been practicing, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to make a prediction that he's going to be there this Saturday against Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, they're, they want to get him back, and this is what I've heard, uh, that they want to get him back um, at home. And yep. they're going to try to – they're probably going to try to limit his minutes. Um, but let's, let's say that he, that he is back for Georgia Tech. Um, I personally would start him. I would limit his minutes, but I would still start him because I want to make sure that we are not getting too far away from what got us to this point to begin with. Would you start him? How would you manage his limits? Oh yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely start him. And and quite honestly, if he's if he's showing signs of being healthy and everything, I I wouldn't put him on a minute restriction. I don't I don't think there's a need. It's not like it's a it's not an overuse injury. It's an acute sure. injury that that happened to him because of a kind of a freak play. You you obviously don't want to see a freak play happen to him, but uh, as in that game, a freak play happened within the first four minutes of the game. So yeah. I, I don't think a minute restriction is necessary in this case, unless just you know mentally he's you know gun shy or something, which he's not going to be, and you know or, or if he's showing some other signs of of issue. But it's not it's not an overuse thing, so I don't think we see a minute restriction on him. I think he goes out business as usual, and they play Georgia Tech and beat him by thirty. Yeah, we'll get to our predictions there, but I, I agree uh, to to an extent. I don't think you play him, you know, thirty plus minutes. But like you said, if we beat him by thirty, that's mm-hmm. kind of a moot point anyway. But yeah. let's, you know, let's completely switch gears here. Next play. Uh, we were both uh, completely wrong. If you want to uh, insert some sort of uh, sound <laughs> sound <laughs> bite of us being wrong, uh, <laughs> stop sign or something. But yeah, we were both wrong on uh, Isaiah Stewart. It did turn out that uh, his relationship with Hopkins. Mike mm-hmm. Hopkins over at, uh, before he went to Washington, uh, what they built up when he was still an assistant at Syracuse, uh, clearly ruled the day here. I, and before, you know, before and I, you go on, yeah, let me just add to that. I think that that is awesome, quite honestly. I, I, I really do, in this world of, you yeah. know, right now of college basketball as a business and, you know, look, look out for your brand type of thing. I think him him sticking with Hopkins like that is it's kind of refreshing actually to have you know that that high of a recruit do that. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you and, and I'm gonna actually bring that up. But yeah, no, it, it is. It's it's great to see that the relationship that they built uh was not for nothing. And, you know, best of luck to him. I have absolutely no ill will uh, toward toward him. I've I've only had ill will toward one recruit uh in my entire time <laughs> of being a Duke fan. I think we know who that is. Uh, back <laughs> back in the day, but we're not going to bring him up. Not not nope. on the five point play podcast. I'll tell you that much. Um, but but let's let's move forward. Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, in terms of recruiting, obviously we're looking at Matthew Hurt. He was at the UVA game. Pretty nice game for him to be at. The camera crazies were rocking. It was a big time win. Yep. Uh, he could see you know how we play. Wendell Moore was right next to him. You see that recruitment. Obviously, you know, official business, they're always going to, you know, quote, unquote, go well um, for the most part. Obviously, you know, a couple instances where that wasn't really right. the case. But, but really, you know, more often than not, they're, they're going to go great. Uh, so you always hear how great they go. But, you know, where do you see us? We, we're also looking at Walker Kessler. What do you think happens here with both of those recruitments? Obviously, it's a little early with Kessler, and mm-hmm. he might have to reclassify. And, and does he even do that? So right. to, walk us through a little bit uh, between both of their games and where those recruitments are. If if we can secure those guys, I think I honestly think it moves us in a a little bit of a better direction than we were headed. If that makes sense, like 
I, Isaiah is a great player. Don't get me wrong. I, I love his game. I just, I just didn't. It, it was blowing my mind to figure out what was going to happen with some of the existing bigs on the roster. Yep. How was he going to coexist with Kerry? Obviously, they can make it work on the offensive end. Defensively, how was that going to work? And, you know, just obviously you want to get the best talent you can, but you got you also have to make sure the pieces fit, too. And I, th- I quite, quite honestly, getting Kerry, I thought that hurt fit better. So we'll see now moving forward you know, what, what kind of player he's, he's going to turn out to be and, and if he turns out to be a player for Duke or not. I, you know, we go from Isaiah Stewart, who you know, picked with his heart, to my, Hurt, Matthew Hurts picking, you know, this is a business decision for this kid. So you know, where, where, where is he going to go? What does he offer? He offers his team another uh, you know, kind of that stretch forward role where he can hit those shots from deep. He can drive on guys a little bit. Defensively, I think he leaves a little bit to be desired on the perimeter, but he's a he's a pretty good rim protector. Um, not a horrid def- uh, rebounder, but you know, Carey's going to be gobbling up rebounds all day long. So you know, he's he's just going to be able to feed off of that. So I I, th- I think he'd be a good fit. He has mentioned before that he wants a team that has a point guard. So you know, what what is Duke going to do with that position? You know, we'll, we'll that's those are all questions for the offseason and. I don't know that he's going to make it this system before at the very least he has an idea from the staffs, you know, what, what's what they think is going to happen in that regard. So, you know, that's his, his is kind of a wait and see in that. And then a little bit of, of that, who's going to be there type of role. Kessler is a little bit of a different story. Cause as you mentioned, he's going to have to reclassify if he's going to be a part of the 2019 class. It sounds like that's something that is, you know, it's picking up more and more steam. So, you know, those types of things happen. And, at the moment, it's Duke and Georgia, kind of, and Georgia has been the front runner only because they he's from Georgia and they've been the, the school recruiting him because he was supposed to not be in college for two more years. But now that there's a possibility of him jumping up, he's going to get a little more, you know, a little more attention. And I, I think Duke is at that he is going to be at the top of his list with Georgia. I think it's going to come down to those two. So again, what what kind of decisions being made there? And if he does come in is he going to play right away? Does he want to play right away? Or is he kind of willing to take a shirt? Because I think he's going to need to take a red shirt coming in just, just based on build, based on his position, everything else, you know, prove me wrong, please. But I, I, I really think he's a guy who is a good candidate for a, a, a red shirt year, just so he can get his feet under him. So, okay. So on that note, then, you know, let's just talk about next year real quick. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't, in your opinion, he wouldn't be someone that would be able to help us next year anyway. I don't think so. And, and and to me, he doesn't seem like a guy that that's not going to deter Matthew Hurt at all, one way or the right. other. But let's talk about what the Stewart thing kind of shifts. I, the, from the beginning, and this isn't me trying to play uh, hindsight between 2020 here, I never quite understood the Stewart Perry situation from the standpoint until we started hearing rumblings that maybe Golden is you know going to graduate early and take his chances whether he's uh, going mm-hmm. pro or you know for whatever reason uh exploring the the uh the grad transfer route um that to me just never really made a whole lot of sense so right. i guess my common sense on that side of it grew correct before you top me into it but um but i know i i does does Bowden's decision change at all from this that's that's a good question. I, I think if he's, I think if he's okay with his current role again, then I think he stays. I think if he wants to go somewhere and be the guy, then you know maybe he explores other options, or maybe he goes, you know, goes the route of 
G League or the pros to go ahead and start getting paid. I know one one of the things that kind of fuels the conversation of him you know, moving on from Duke after the season is just that he's on track to be able to graduate early. You know, that's, that's kind of a throwdown for, Oh, the guy's going to leave early. Grayson Allen had the same, same exact scenario. Correct. You know, so, and then, and then plus you add to that, here comes Duke bringing in Isaiah Stewart and Vernon Carey, where does, you know, Queese fit? He doesn't. So it's like, okay, so, you know, that's, that's just one of those, you know, you hear recruiting guys all the time talk about reading the tea leaves with some situations. That's one of those reading the tea leaves types of situations. But now that, now that that has kind of gone the wayside, I mean, I, like as you said, I I don't know that it makes much sense for him to leave or for him to go and explore other options or whatever else he's going to do. Like I, like he's needed on this team next year, and I think I think he could absolutely carry the same role if he wants it. So because you know you're going to have to give Carry time. So it's it is what it is. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I would like to see him stay. Quite honestly, I'd like to see him finish his career out at Duke. And I would too. It, it would be nice. Yeah. And and it's so funny too. His entire time at Duke, you've, we've heard nothing but transfer rumors and him not wanting to be at Duke rumors, and he's just constantly proved otherwise. All the way from being recruited, it was he's he's a hundred percent going to Kentucky, even though they had seventeen bigs on the roster. He still <laughs> right. wants to go to Kentucky, and then he goes to Duke. And then after that first season with the injuries and everything else, oh, he he absolutely is going to transfer back home to TCU. He's going home. And no, he's still here. Oh, okay. After sophomore year, he's he's gone. He's gone. Even though, oh, maybe not because it's his time. Because now he can be the starting guy. And then all of a sudden, over the summer, we hear, oh, Javin's probably going to be the starter. And then we see Canada happen. Oh, Quise is on the bench for the entirety of the Canada trip. Oh, he's definitely gone. Nope, he's still here. So it's like, I mean, like at what point are we gonna? Maybe when he graduates, are we finally gonna say, okay, now he's gone? I, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's the only thing that's gonna get him out of here. And quite honestly, I don't want him gone. Like, I like him. I like the way he plays, and he's been doing great for this team. So. You know, it's one thing that you don't usually get, um, you know, with a one-and-done era, especially if you're Duke, you know, bringing in a lot of those guys. You, you don't get to ride as many journeys with kids mm-hmm. um, that are higher caliber um, than as, as we used to. We, we rode a hell of a roller coaster with Grayson, mm-hmm. and we saw, you know, a lot of different things. But Cleese is that kind of old man, traditional guy that he comes in as a freshman, highly rated, has a step back. He was supposed to be the starter, yep. you know, after, you know, the, the exhibition games and the CTC freshman mm-hmm. year. He goes down with an injury, never really gets back to it. Then we bring in Carter, who's still going to play. Then we bring in Bagley late uh, after mm-hmm. he reclassifies, and he's kind of, you know, sitting on the back burner. He, he plays well, but again, gets another injury. Now is his time. Then he has the setback, like you said, um, in his play. You know, he's completely healthy, not on wood. Um, I would like to see him finish the race. I would. Yep. Um, you know, it's my heart strain is popping. I would like to see him finish the race, continue to prove doubters wrong, continue to prove the pundits wrong, and get the Duke degree and, you know, do something special. You know, not everybody's race is the same. And, and Coach K has always talked about that. So I'd like mm-hmm. to – and, and, and let's, let's be honest, Cleese is playing good ball right now. He's playing he good ball, and, and really he's played pretty solid all year long. And he's had a couple ups and downs for sure, but he's played solid. And he's a guy that is now giving us, you know, jab and having his struggles 30 minutes a game. So, yep. you know, he's a guy that, that we want to continue to, to continue to get better, keep getting better, keep fighting, keep, you know, getting smarter about the game. You can see the light is, is going on for him. Uh, let's keep it on. Uh, but I'd like to see that. And then to, to finish up, you know, the point guard thing, 
uh, when, when, when it comes down to Matthew, uh, Matthew Hurt. You know, we don't know what that's going to be. We know what we hope it will be. I'll tell you what I think know, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. R.J. Hampton. Oh, boy. Oh, God. We don't have enough time. That's, another, that's time. a conversation we, for another day. We, we don't have enough time uh, in the podcast <laughs> for that. Uh, I mean, as of Saturday night, <laughs> you had sold on that. So uh-huh. uh, we're not, we're not going to bore everybody with that. Uh, too many uh, spots. Uh, drinks mm-hmm. um, after the game, after celebrating the win, <laughs> to, to bring that up. Okay, so let's let's finish this uh, podcast off. Next play. We got two games coming up. They, they should be, you would think, two uh, two easy wins. Uh, although going to Notre Dame is never an easy win for Duke. But let's start with Georgia Tech Saturday noon mm-hmm. game. I hate noon games, uh, yep. especially on the weekends. What do you got here in the Georgia Tech game? Big win for Duke. You know, especially especially getting Trey back would be enormous for this type of game. And I think it's the right type of game to bring him back for. Um, nothing, you know, nothing to see here type of game. Georgia Tech is pretty bad. Passner is not, you know, he's not been able to bring his Memphis magic to Georgia Tech, really. And, you know, it was, he was going to be hard-pressed to do so, coming to a bigger conference and trying to do some of the same things he did there. So, yeah, not just not a fan of that team, the way they play right now. And, Quite honestly, not worth a lot of time to to analyze on this one. I mean, obviously that's you know that's K's job to do, so he's going to, but show them some respect there. But I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a ninety-five, probably somewhere around a ninety-five, sixty-five Duke route. Yeah, we're we're right on. We're not going to spend a lot of time with it. Uh, hopefully, again, and, and this is what I'm hearing, the trees should be back. Um, I think Duke rolls in this game. Uh, hopefully, the crazies aren't too hungover. Hopefully, they're still drunk. After Friday night, you know, come in and have have a uh, a nice showing. Uh, take a break at halftime, get rehydrated. But uh, I got Duke in this one, 101 to 72. Let's talk about Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. That's a place that traditionally we struggle with. Um, obviously, this is a new team for for Mike Bray. Uh, Bonzi Colson uh, finished his 27 year career at Notre Dame and is no longer <laughs> is no longer there. Um, I, I think that it's going to still be a tough game. You know, the Notre Dame fans are uh, are going to be packed as any Duke game uh, that we go on the road. They they have great fans there. I'm a big fan of Mike Bray. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of what he's done at Notre Dame. He does it with uh, class, and he does it with, you know, guys that aren't highly rated. Um, I still think Duke wins his game 83-74. to 74. What do you got? Yeah, I think, I think this is going to be a Duke victory, and I, I kind of feel like it's going to be – a do victory along the same lines of what we saw at Pitt. You know, I think they might, maybe they hit a few, you know, sentimental shots against us early on, yeah. but you know, down the stretch, I think Duke is just going to be too much. They lost Rex Fluger for the season. He's, yeah, you know, he's the catalyst for them. Yep. Temple Gibbs is a great player and he's, he's just not going to be able to do it by himself. DJ Harvey has been disappointing at best, he's kind of like Tyus Battle in the frame of mind of he's been disappointing, but who knows? Maybe, you know, since he was recruited by Duke, maybe he has some extra motivation to come out and, and play this game a little bit harder. And then, you know, you lose Bonzi Colson, but then you replace Bonzi Colson with a, a John Mooney doing his best Bonzi Colson impersonation. You know, he's a very solid rebounder. He's going to give us a lot of trouble on the boards. And he, he gets some a lot of hustle putbacks and shots based off those rebounds that, you know, it just – it's going to make it a little a little more difficult for Duke to to really pull this game away and blow this game up. So I, I think you're right, spot on with kind of that margin there. I think we'll see Duke win this one 
they're not a great defensive team, so I think we can see Duke put up about 90, but you know, maybe Notre Dame puts up somewhere around you know, 75 or so, somewhere around there. So I'm going to say 90, 75. Just give them a little bit of home, hometown credit there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think we're, we're more or less kind of on the same page there. Um, you did mention Tyus Battle. That's something that I had marked down. I wanted to bring this up. We actually <laughs> predicted that Tyus Battle would be the uh, ACC Player of the Week after his performance <laughs> at Duke. And sure enough, uh, I texted you the other day as soon as yep. it came out, uh, what happens, Tyus Battle, uh, Player of the Week. And uh, I, yeah. just wanted to, I just wanted to tell you who he beat out. He beat out Zion Williamson, who was the Rookie of the Week. Zion mm-hmm. averaged in his two games, one against UVA, the greatest defense in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. He averaged 26 points, eight boards, four assists on 72% shooting. He yeah, but he didn't, more, he didn't beat Duke. He had more points than battle. He had a much, much higher uh, field goal percentage. He had more <laughs> rebounds than battle. He had more assists than battle. The only thing he didn't do was shoot the three better or have a higher free throw percentage, and I guess that gave Tyus Battle the nod. But did he beat Duke? Did Zion beat Duke? No, no. Uh, so, no. He, Tyus Battle is number one, two, and three right now on the Wooden Naismith Award watch list. So, because, because well, of his I, I, know it's not, I know it's not Trey Jones. No, so, certainly not. <laughs> yeah, he, he can't get any credit. So, um, okay, so, so, there, so there we have it. We got we got our predictions for uh, for the two games coming up for our next podcast. Hopefully, mm-hmm. a couple a, a couple two wins, and that'll get us to seven and one if we're able to, to, to you know win as we should. That'll get us to seven and one in the ACC, and, and obviously you can't do any worse than the top uh, tied at the top. So uh, Carolina, by the way, is playing you know really good ball right now. Yep. So it, it's kind of get into that crescendo where, you know, that Duke Carolina game should be unbelievable. But we got a lot of work to do before we get to that point, and, and so do they, and I don't really give a paper fuck what they're doing. So nope. um, let's go ahead, get these two Ws, Absolutely. and come into the next podcast ready to go. Go Duke. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Five Point Play Podcast.